0: Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy.
1: What's the poster said?
0: See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make out? Nope. Because
1: I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) The Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13.
1: Sign up today at MyBookie and use our promo code Gators to get your first ever deposit match dollar for dollar. Go to mybookie.ag to bet anything, anywhere, anytime with my bookie. Want more Gators Breakdown? Join Gators Breakdown Plus. Starting at $3 a month, get access to unique episodes, plus a blog, chat room, giveaways, shout outs, and more. Gators Breakdown Plus is furthering the interaction with fans and listeners like you. Head to Gators to join Gators Breakdown Plus today. Gator's Breakdown. Because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gator's Breakdown Podcast is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters, and you can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore S E C. Here we are. We finally get to do it. We get to break down the game. We get to look ahead. And we get to do it, of course, with Will Miles from ReedReaction.com and on Twitter at WillMilesSEC. Will, this is what you and I wait for eight months out of the year. We get to go, you know, we, we, we talk football all year long, but now the, these four months we get to talk about actual games, actual football, no more conjecture, no guessing, no predictions. Just, hey, here we go. Well, still a little bit of predictions, I guess, as we move forward throughout the season. But at least we have something to go back and look at.
0: Now, Dave, I thought we were going to take this episode and argue about recruiting. I, th- I thought that's what this <laughs> is going to be. No, nah, I mean, hey, it's great. It's, my, my, my daughter asked me the other day, Are you happy to have football back? And I'm like, Oh my God, you have no idea. And I think everybody feels that way, but I, I know you and I do, especially because it's new content, new data points, new storylines, and quite honestly, new sort of hope that, I mean, sort of some of the things that we saw the other day, you can see some really special things happening on this Florida Gator team. And that's, that's really fun to watch, and, and obviously it's going to be uh, you know, fodder for arguments as well, but, uh, but fun to watch, fun to have the new stuff going on and,
1: and fun to see our Gators play. Yep, 35-14, Will. Uh, win will with uh, Florida over FAU probably not the way it played out like many thought it would. So that's of course going to be part of what we discuss here, just how the game played out. Uh, I know you guys have probably already listened to my review. You've probably already read and listened to Will's review as well over at Reading and Reaction and on uh, and on Twitter, his YouTube over there for Reading Reaction as well. Uh, will, but you know we've we finally get to come together again and and, and put our thoughts on it. Uh, have we? How we've done the last uh, four years? Uh, here on Gators Breakdown, so we'll get to do it again here. Uh, this episode, but we'll make Gainesville fun time. I know you'll be in town for uh, Bama. I mean, I was really impressed with the first game versus FAU, the, the, the turnout, the tailgating. We got to see a lot of people for the that I've met for the first time uh, that listen to Gators Breakdown that or, or interact with on Twitter. Uh, but Gainesville, you know, I, I rolled up about probably 745 with the Harmonic Woods guys tailgated way too long uh there uh yeah um I, I, I think i have found that I'm, I'm too old for that all day uh, uh you know when you got to work at the same time if i was there just to tailgate and go to the game different story but uh doing it would get his breakdown maybe maybe maybe, maybe uh Maybe not the best move from here on out. <laughs> <laughs> well,
0: there are a couple of guys in that Harmonic Woods tailgate who I was worried about whether they were going to make it to the game a couple years ago <laughs> when I was there. So they they definitely have a good time, and and you know I'm sure you had a good time while you were there too. But uh, yeah, the the seven the seven thirty games are interesting, right? I mean, yeah. obviously we're happy that they're at night because it's so hot down there, but it also means that you've been hanging out in the parking lot for hours and hours and hours while it's been hot. So you're not really saving the uh, the fans anything by having the game at 7.30. I think you're saving the players, obviously, making it a, a more friendly environment. And certainly the guys from FAU are going through the exact same thing in camp and all the outdoor practices they have as well. So no advantage distinctly there. But, you know, you can imagine as the season progresses, um, you know, you, you have an advantage if you, if you play the game in the middle of the day. So I'm, I'm for the 3.30 game. I don't know. You know, ESPN's taken over, and we'll see if the primetime SEC yeah. games end up at 8 o'clock all the time. But those 3.30 games are fun, and that'll be fun a couple of weeks when, when Alabama comes to town.
1: Yeah, Absolutely, absolutely there. All right, here we go. Uh, before we get started, remember, Gators Breakdown Plus, extra content there, post-game show uh, was there. We'll do a Q&A episode every week, too, so go sign up there at fm for more content at Gators Breakdown Plus, and you can find Gators Breakdown on your favorite podcast platform. If you're not watching the YouTube version, a lot of you watching that YouTube version, hit that like button, hit that subscribe button. It really helps us out. We'll, we'll start with Mullen's Monday press conference uh, we still got that on Labor Day well what we, wasn't sure we were going to get it till they sent the email out on Sunday say all right we will we, we'll have Mullen tomorrow so okay there we go we know we know we have something to talk about uh, there with Dan Mullen. plenty of course the conversation going towards quarterback all eyes on the quarterback spot for the Gators right now uh, look a lot of eyes will be on the quarterback position anyway uh, but with what happened and what transpired Saturday night between Emory Jones and Anthony Richardson, of course, all eyes on the Gator quarterback spot. So going and extending the conversation, what Dan Mullen had to say in his press conference here. Willie he says, uh, Richardson knows the offense. It's just the experience of making all the reads and the checks within the offense. Made some spectacular plays, but missed some very simple checks within the offense. You can speed up that timeline and make it work however you need to, but obviously it's going uh, it's best to get them that experience over time. Uh, so going back to the post game Saturday night, and Mullen says both of them, both Emery and Ar, have the experience, uh, or both have the ability for explosive plays, and that he's confident for with both quarterbacks, and that Emery is. The starter, so no surprise. Still, there will an expected comment from Dan Mullen right after the game, right after the press conference, uh, or you know the the press conference after the game as well. Um, You know, no no surprise there in saying Henry Jones is still going to be the starter, uh, and basically he's going to lead the charge this week going into USF, and probably a probably a pretty good competition there. Well, you can probably hear my dog barking in the background, but there we go. Um, you know, pretty good. Uh, I guess I guess my dog, Oliver, has a thought, too, with the quarterback situation. So, uh, uh, we'll be, I'll, I'll have to go ask him what he's saying. But, um, you know, it, it is an expected reply from Dan Mullen and what we were getting right after the game, the press conference a few minutes after the game, here on Monday as well, uh, of basically kind of riding with the experience factor Right now, and when it comes when it comes to this quarterback position, and look, we'll always go back to it shouldn't take one game for you know. However, Dan Mullen felt about Emory Jones in AR, it's not going to change after one game, and you know for for and most coaches think that way as well. Now, more more as you you said the word data point earlier, more data points that are out there, then you can start adding that to the decision making and when and where you'll make a change. But game two, I think if you. You may want to change. You may not want to change. But I think if you polled Gator Nation and thought if a change was going to happen with Dan Mullen as quarterback or Dan, I mean, your quarterback coach and head coach, you'd probably – a lot of them out there probably know he's conservative in that regard. An immediate change probably isn't going to be made. So with what he said in a change and talking about starting quarterback, who's going to start, is there a competition, is there a controversy, for Mullen you knew he was going to say no.
0: Yeah. I mean, so there's a couple of things here. I mean, yes, that's exactly what we knew Mullen would say. That's what we expect Mullen to say. His incredulousness at the question being asked after the game was kind of entertaining, but at least he didn't try to execute his team like Brian Kelly. So, you know, it, out of, out of all the, out of all of the post-game interviews Mullens comes off as better than some of his colleagues this week. What, what I would say is that, yes, when you go back and look at the tape, it's pretty obvious and Anthony Richardson still has an awful lot to learn the problem that you're running into or at least the thing that i think most people are starting to starting to lean towards richardson is because it also looks like emory jones has a lot of those same things to learn but when you look at the actual explosives that are coming out of anthony richardson versus the ones that are coming out of emory jones you see a guy who is seems to be more explosive and more decisive is maybe the way to the way to put it it, it looked like jones was just kind of tentative there were some throws you know very basic dig routes where the guys open and he just has to hit him and it's five yards and those were low. There were some screen passes that were off that were going off into the flat. Uh, he threw a really nice screen pass to Whittemore that, that Whittemore turned into 18 yards, but that was the longest completion that Jones had throughout the entire night. Here's the deal. You throw the ball 27 times and you average 4.2 yards per attempt. Like that, It's just not getting the job done. And, you know, regardless of who it is, I mean, those are, those are, um, those are Treon Harris type numbers when it comes to throwing the ball. And we've seen that play and we didn't like it all that much. And so I can understand why people would then, would then sort of lean towards AR. The problem is that AR threw the ball eight times for 40 yards. So he only averaged five yards an attempt. Emory averaged 4.2. Now, obviously, it's helped by the 160 yards of rushing on seven attempts for AR. But, I think anybody who expects this to be some passing juggernaut after watching this first game is probably mistaken. And so then the question comes – you know, do you trust Anthony Richardson to manage a game in the same way you trust Emory Jones? Because Jones averaged seven point four yards per rush. Ten rushes for 74 yards, still a really good day for a quarterback who's running the ball. And quite honestly, I think they gave Anthony Richardson a little bit more opportunity to run the ball, but I think he was also more decisive when he was given those opportunities with the read option and and and, and was able to take advantage of it. So not a surprise that Mullen would do this. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, look at who his defensive coordinator is. He's slow to make changes when even when we all think it's obvious and I, I don't think it's as obvious as people think it is when you look at Richardson versus Emory Jones. I think Emory Jones does some really nice things. I don't think he had a very good game but I think you know if he doesn't throw that interception on the cover two and they, it looks like they had a play dialed up when it was I think third and two and then they they got to delay a game because Richardson's helmet came off they got pushed back another five yards then he makes the bad throw into the cover three or into the cover two defense and and things sort of went, spiraled downhill from there. And I think you get his confidence back this week. He, you build around the things you think he did well, and yeah. I think there's probably a foundation there. The the thing that disappoints you is the game management, right, the delay of games, the interception against a pretty obvious defensive formation, the interception where he was late getting the ball out, where he's throwing it down the field, the fourth down play, regardless of why that fourth down play was run, instead of just turning around and calling a timeout and getting it right, running a fourth down quarterback sneak from the four-yard line with – you know, from under center, that's not a normal play. You see Florida run on fourth and yeah. four. Um, and so those type game management things are the things that you hope you're getting out of Emory Jones. If you're going to have him in there as the starting quarterback.
1: Well, and I'm going to go back to a point that you made and uh, I made it to, it was a bad game and maybe it was just that maybe it was in, you know, we would love for everybody's first start to go out there and be the best you know one of the best performances they have and it gets you something gets you to have uh gets you to be excited uh, for what you see uh in, in the future and maybe i you mean know, maybe it was just a bad performance and maybe it's just paired first performance is is a bad performance and he go and he goes up from here maybe it was just a bad night maybe the pressure did get to him maybe it overwhelmed him in that regard uh, maybe that was some of it you mentioned there uh the turnover you know the first couple of drives were, were we're not you get you get far to up 14 nothing uh, and as Mullins said, was it perfect? No, there's probably some reads he missed and throws he missed in those first couple of drives as well. But converting third downs along the way, those first couple of drives uh, as well, you know, it did seem he was more comfortable in that. Don't get me wrong. You could also say, well, okay, those were plays they scripted. Those were plays they had ready to go. Of course, he should be comfortable in that situation. So, yeah, you could play uh, that way uh, with it as well. But, you know, it was the small things, Will, dating back to the spring, dating back to the fall scrimmages. It was the things that we had heard about that crept up, and those are the exact things we saw, whether it be uh, the throws are off target, whether it be the touch on the ball not being right. You know, the, the Will route, the, he probably should have had another third interception, and that was probably a pick six if that one gets caught there by FAU. So, you know, there were some some positives early on, and then it just seemed like that, going back to your point and, and the, the the interception there in the end zone – Whatever reason, it kind of just fell off the cliff there. Still did some things nice with his legs, but that Tim tib- tib- timidness. Oh wow, can't really talk there. <laughs> the uh, him just being our timid with the run game. That that kind of what that's that's what rubbed me a, a different way. Uh, I can understand being timid in the pass game once you throw that interception, but it seemed like the timing was thrown off everywhere else as well. Whether he sh- was late making the decision whether he should hand the ball off to the running back. Or you know keep it for for a keeper as well uh, and get some yards himself. You know early on he did had some nice plays with those legs, whether it be design runs or uh, a called pass and making something happen with his legs uh, there as well. It just seemed like once that interception happened, it affected his entire game, not just the passing game.
0: Yeah, I mean, so I, I think there's a, fu- a couple things. Is to be fair to Anthony Richardson, his plays were probably scripted too because he only really ran fifteen or twenty plays. So if you think about that, like think about the way Mullen talks to, about building he had to packages. Drop too.
1: He had some drops from receivers.
0: Absolutely. I mean, the touchdown, or it should have been a touchdown to Henderson on the on the throw in that went right through his hands. Even though I think they got the pass interference on that call. There was another yeah. play that I, I think people are calling it a drop by Frazier's, but I think it was a little bit behind him. It's kind of yeah. hard to see. Um, both, you
1: know, the Bowman swing pass, I think, too.
0: Yeah, there, there was yeah. there was there was one a couple he threw out the wells that yeah. were one was inaccurate, one was accurate. I, look, I, I think. The, the reality is, is if you're going to give Jones credit for his first two drives and getting two touchdowns for scripted plays, then you sort of have to say the same thing for Anthony Richardson when you talk about the number of plays that he played, is that chances are a lot of those plays are sort of the ones that they had repped with him in practice over and over and over and over again. And if you asked him to execute 65, 70 plays in a game, you might have seen the same thing where after you get past the first 15 or 20 he's really comfortable with, maybe things start to go downhill. Now, the, the difference is, and I'm going to post something on this hopefully later tonight, is there there, was a, there, were, there were some opportunities where Florida had read option plays called where if Emory Jones had held onto the ball, the defensive end collapsed. And if he'd have held onto the ball and run around the corner, he would have had the same 73-yard touchdown that Anthony Richardson had. And it turns out Anthony Richardson kept the ball in two of those and wound up with almost 100 yards rushing from the two read options that he had where he kept the ball when the defensive end crashed. And you know those are huge huge things one they're explosive plays right but the other thing is is that you're not you know you're not setting up in second and seven and then having to throw having to throw the ball at that point and those are those are the things i mean it was just it was obviously more explosive when ar was on the field right i mean you had four explosive plays while while Emory jones was the de facto starter there in the first half in the third quarter and one of them was an anthony richardson run when he came in to replace him two were malik davis runs and then one was an emery jones run where the coverage was pretty decent and then he and then he ran for a first down. Anthony Richardson, when he was in there, was responsible for five explosive plays. Four of them were his runs, and then one was the passage to Marcus Weston, which was actually a pretty nice throw. I, don't, I think he could have led him a little bit more, and maybe that yeah. turns into a touchdown. At the same time, one of the reasons that I tout accuracy so highly from high school to college is because when a guy's wide open to where you can underthrow him and he can sit there and still catch it, that means you're throwing it to the right spot. Right. And and so I think that's a promising sign that he was able to pick out where in the zone was going to be open, find his guy, and lay it in there. And let's be honest, on fourth and four or whatever it was, you don't want to miss the guy by a foot, right? You wanna you wanna put it in there and make sure you can root the fourth sure down. It it.
1: <laughs> What's that? And make sure, yeah, make sure he put you put it in a spot where he can at least catch it.
0: So I mean, look, I mean, Mullen's not stupid. He saw the same thing we did. The offense looked different when Anthony Richardson was on the field. But he's also not stupid. He's watched these guys in camp. Now he's sort of brought this on himself because he's been somebody who's been praising Anthony Richardson pretty much ever since SEC Media Days. He brought up Anthony Richardson at SEC Media Days. He brought him up after, you know, in fall camp without it after the first scrimmage, without anybody really even asking a question. And so, you know, the the and and since they've had everything closed nobody's been able to see it right so nobody's been able to see what's going on so you've got the head coach out there praising the backup quarterback and then all of a sudden the backup quarterback outplays the starter and he's surprised that people are asking questions Eh, you know i mean at the end of the day we all saw the same thing but Again, I go back to a few things. One is that these guys are going to get nicked up over the course of a season, the way they were putting down their heads and actually running into the defenders. And so you're going to need both of them over the course of the year if you're going to if you're going to be successful. And then the other thing is, is that it's really effective to have a guy like Anthony Richardson come in as a change of pace. I don't know that he's prepared to be a 65-70 play starter. I think there are going to be things the defense is going to be able to throw at him that will confuse him much the same way that it'll confuse Emory Jones. The question is, is Jones going to be able to pick it up faster so that when Nick Saban puts something in week three to confuse the quarterback, he just either takes the sack or, or goes and runs instead of throwing it to the teeth of, of a defense because he gets fooled. And that'll sort of be the difference between the two.
1: Well, part of the way I think is to what I think – how I think the coaches will think as well. So Emory's going to be the starter versus USF. We can debate if that's the right move or not uh, this early in the season. Uh, it probably still is. Would we, would be flabbergasted if AR was named start if Florida rolls out there Saturday at one o'clock and then A- AR starting, we'd at least have something to point to and be like, okay, well, we can see why it wouldn't come out of nowhere uh, if it happened. But I think we expect that. So I'll ask you the question, Um, you know, you know, should should Emory start versus USF? And a lot of questions. A lot of fans are asking that questions, or a lot of fans have even made the determination already that they are, they are already ready to see the change. Uh, and my um, thing is, either way. If Emory starts, and I expect him to, and I think he should. Is, I, I think he should, too. Just, uh, you know, make sure that game one is not just a, uh, an, an off night. Make sure, you know, whatever you think he was before game one, see if he can go out there and do those same things that you thought he could when you named him the starter or when you, you know, pegged him the starter uh, over Anthony Richardson this year. Um, I still expect to see A.R. more. You know the, the the explosions cannot be overlooked, and I think now he he's proven right now at least in one game, and we all know it was FAU, and we we can grade on that scale however much we want to, but it has much proven going back to what you said, the offense was just more explosive. More explosives came from Anthony Richardson being on the field. So whether Emory Jones a starter, maybe that percentage we thought going into the season, hey, would it, will it will it be will it be sixty forty? Will it be seventy thirty? Well, I mean, after game one, I think you can at least say it probably should be close to the 60, 40, 50, 50 range of Anthony Richardson needs to be on the field a bit more.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think if nothing else, we've been asking for years in Mullins' offense, really, for a guy who can take the ball to the house every time he touches the ball. And Anthony Richardson looked like that guy the other night. Right. And so um, you can't keep that guy on the sideline for an extended period of time. At the same time. You know, there's more to playing quarterback than just being able to than being able to to get yourself out of a sticky situation. So one of his runs the other night came where there was a corner blitz, and the hot read is to hit the guy coming on the slant, who you know from where the blitzer is. It's there, it's open. That's the play. You throw the play. Now, now he's able to sidestep the blitzer, and then he ends up running for 25 yards and pulls somebody over. And it looks great, and everybody gets excited, but it's not the right play. And over time in the SEC, like you can't
1: do that against Alabama. His, yeah, somebody will bait him into that.
0: And you can't do that against Alabama. The linebacker will make the tackle, right? right. And, and so the the thing is, is that there are things you have to do that are right. And then there are things that you can do to improvise and you want to be able to improvise when things break down. But on something like that, like seeing that corner blitz right in your face, if you see him well enough to dodge, you should have seen him when he was coming and the way he was facing, he should have seen him. Those are pretty basic quarterback 101 type of things. Emory Jones has been in the program for four years, and so if Dan Mullen looks at that and says he's prepared to deal with those types of things in a way that that Anthony Richardson is not, then, a, then absolutely Emory Jones needs to be the starter. Now the question then becomes, is he able to effectively deal with those sorts of things, right? If you see the same corner blitz and Emory Jones takes off and runs too, then, then – what's the difference, right? The difference is is Anthony Richardson seems to be a little bit more explosive and I think you probably put him out there. So I I think the thing you want to look at is is those sorts of things. The checks at the line of scrimmage were things that that Dan Mullen noted at his press conference today. That's not something you're going to necessarily know just by watching the tape and, and you don't know what they've called. You don't know whether they're checking different directions of the running game and when you look at a guy like Malik Davis going for 100 yards on like 14 carries, you know, was that because Emory Jones was getting them into the right play up at the line of scrimmage in a way that that Anthony Richardson may not be able to do. So those are things that that Mullen's gonna have to gauge. And, and one of the things that I think is a check in Emory Jones, um, in Emory Jones uh, uh ledger. But you know, the problem is that 73-yard run is a really big check in Anthony Richardson's ledger. And so yeah, you're gonna have to get him out there on the field. I, I think what you said about sharing time is probably accurate. And I think if Florida hadn't been playing for a national championship back in 2006, that Leak Tebow relationship would have skewed far more towards Tebow as that season had gone along. But because they were in the running for a national championship, and because Chris Leak, quite honestly, was playing pretty well, um, you know, I, I think that they were more willing to let it be what it was. But I think had they lost a couple of games, had it been, you know, hey, we're seven and three going into the last couple of games of the year would Tim Tebow have gotten the reins to play those last couple of games I think he would have so I think some of whether they go to Anthony Richardson at, at a higher clip may be controlled by um, you know what happens over the course of the year and what happens in some of these games early on you know if you get if you get beat by a lot against Alabama and Emory Jones looks kind of like he did against FAU then you see that transition coming much much faster if you get beat by a couple of points by Alabama or even beat Alabama, and Emory Jones, even if he doesn't look great, if Emory Jones is out there doing the right checks and getting the team in the right play and making sure the offensive line is comfortable with what they're doing in the run game, then it's a whole different story.
1: Yeah, if if what we happen if what happens Saturday continues throughout, basically going to one of your situations there, then the, the question becomes, when does AR's raw talent outweigh the experience? And how much can he make up for that? Uh, It's basically encompassing all that here. So, look, I, I, I for one, just think it was a bad night for Emory. I think he looks better on week two versus USF. We'll see how much better. And I look, but I also expect AR to take that experience from game one and look better as well. So, you know what? What's the baseline? What's the ceiling uh, there for for both these quarterbacks now uh, after the first game? But I I don't expect to see the Emory we saw Saturday night versus FAU the same one we see versus USF. Uh, you know there can be many factors there, um, and you look you can lot you can you can uh, say those factors aren't right either. You know, or or we shouldn't have seen those factors come into play, whether it be too much pressure, whether it be um, you know. Uh, you know, falling apart after the, the the interception and not being able to bounce back, uh, there or maybe just for whatever reason just not ready to go in year four uh, under Dan Mullen. You know whatever that is, maybe all that's true. But that was a week one thing. Transition to week two, we see better quarterback play there from Emory Jones.
0: Yeah. I mean, it may be a hot hand thing, right? I mean, there might be weeks where Anthony Richardson struggles with some of the same things that Emory Jones did the other night and Jones is playing better. And so you sort of go with the hot hand, but you know, as far as announcing your arrival, you know, I, I looked at some of the tape from the Oklahoma game last year and looked at Anthony Richardson and said, yeah, from a passing game perspective, he's not necessarily ready, but you have to acknowledge that he's explosive at the position. Right. And that's what we saw the other night is I'm not sure he's absolutely ready from a passing perspective, but you can't deny the explosion. And so, you know, it, it, as long as people who have the Anthony Richardson needs to be the starter energy, have the same energy, if energy and Emory Jones plays really well, then I'm OK with it. Um, I, I think. The question we've been asking is who's that special elite Cam Newton-like quarterback who can lead Florida to be able to compete with the Georges and the, and the Alabamas of the world? And you saw a hint of that against FAU with Anthony Richardson. You didn't see a hint of that with Emory Jones. And that's why people are really jumping on this as they look at it and say two years from now where are we going to be? Let's get this guy the reps early and let's see where he can go. Whereas I think Dan Mullen is is rightly saying, you got to earn your reps and you earn those in practice and you earn those over a guy who's really well-respected like Emery Jones. Um, and, and so that's that's sort of the situation. It's, it's a lot like, you know, I've heard Kelly Bryant and Trevor Lawrence. I've heard Jake right. Fromm. And, and Justin Fields. And then, and then also you could think about Jalen Hurts and Tua. Obviously, the guy who was the incumbent starter, a little bit different situation in each of those. But in each situation, those were guys who were really well respected by their teammates. And making the change for the coach was a really hard call. And, you know, obviously worked out in, uh, in, in, at Clemson. <laughs> Not sure it worked out at Georgia all that well when they stuck yeah. with from. So, you know, it's it, these are the kinds of things you get paid eight million dollars a year for to make these sorts of okay. decisions. Nope.
1: I don't, I don't, I don't think Dan Muller's listening to us for the decision. So, whatever, you know, whatever happened in the spring, whatever happened in the fall, uh, you know, whether there's news and notes that came out about Emory's struggles or true, and we saw that game one, or if it was just a bad night and Emory Jones can bounce back and go on to have a good season. Uh, you know, it still starts with Emory Jones being the starter versus USF. Uh, and, you know, we'll see where it goes from there. But uh, no ultimate decision, no no change of direction. Looks like it's happening for the Gator quarterback situation right now. So plenty of other things to get into as well. But before we do, remember, guys, you have to go to my bookie. Bet at my bookie. Plenty, plenty to get into this year for football season. Winning season returns at mybookie.ag. And it's time to get in on the action First-time players can get started by doubling your first deposit, giving you the firepower to add excitement to the games you love, college football odd boost, NFL lock of the season, and over $500,000 in contest prizes live on site to make this winning season your best ever with MyBookie. An historic 18-week NFL schedule offering more action than ever before, you need a sportsbook casino that's reliable and you won't find a better place to play than MyBookie. I know you're gonna bet this season, so do the smart thing. Sign up with my bookie, use our promo code GATERS to get your first ever deposit match dollar for dollar. Extra money credited to your account instantly just for using promo code GATERS and making your first deposit. Bet anything, anywhere, anytime with my bookie. Well, man, we got we, we we did get a little bit of kudos on on, on Twitter in in discussing one position group that uh, you and I were you and I were a little more a little higher on than than, many, than than most out there, uh. But the offensive line, you know, and look, it's probably a good thing we didn't hear about the offensive line because that is one position group where if you don't hear a whole lot about them, that means they did their job. And the offensive line, for the most part, played well versus FAU. And they, look, they should have. And a good thing that they did show up. They played well. They helped block for a a rushing offense that got 400 yards. No sacks were given up. Very little quarterback hurries were in play for this Gator offensive line. Pretty good first performance in this kind of changing of the focus and, and, and going more toward the run game for this offensive line.
0: Yeah, so I had Gene DeLance as my breakout player last week when we did our over-unders and all that sort of stuff, and I'm, I'm sure people sort of looked at me a little bit cross-eyed at that point. But the transition from the passing-focused offense to a run-focused offense, I think, was one of the reasons to, to think about that. And I thought DeLance was solid. I didn't think he was fantastic. I thought he was right. solid. I thought, I thought Stuart Reese was the best player on the field. Uh, he was unbelievable as a pulling guard. Come over to the left-hand side. I'm going to be really interested to go back and look at SEC StatCat and see some of the breakdowns. I bet Florida's running game to the left side of the offensive line was unbelievable because Reese was pulling through there and just was mauling FAU players. I thought I thought he was fantastic. And you oh, know, both
1: guards pulled, pulled pretty well in the in the game overall. But yeah, you're right. It 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 starts in headlines with Reese in that regard.
0: Uh, the other thing that they did, and, and I'm not sure, I actually uh, I texted a couple of friends to see whether they remembered it as much as, or didn't remember it as much as I didn't remember it. There was a lot of, there were a lot of cut blocks and I don't remember a lot of cut blocking last year, even for running games. DeLance did it a couple of times. I saw it from um, Garage a few times where they were cutting guys who were coming in to try to sort of just get them on the ground, but doing it in the capacity of the run game. It's that thing the old Denver Broncos teams used to do that cut blocking stuff, and the defenses just hated it. And by the time you got to the third or fourth quarter, they were jumping out of the way and opening up holes because they just didn't want to get cut anymore because they hated guys going after their legs. So I thought that was really interesting because I don't recall seeing that last year. At least nowhere near as much as I saw. Because I, I mean, just watching it, I saw it three or four times, and then going back, uh, you know, on the rewatch, it was it was much more prevalent than I remember last year. And I think one of those things is, you know, the offense clearly is run focused. We knew it was going to be run focused. I think it's even more run focused than maybe we thought it would be. Mm-hmm. And and I think they're starting to to get some more advanced techniques on the offensive line. Like I said, I thought Reese was the best player on the field the other night. I thought the Lance was pretty solid. I thought Ethan White played pretty well. There were a couple of really nice runs for Malik Davis where White was able to do a nice combo block sort of double-team at the point of attack, get out, take a linebacker, and then you have Malik Davis going one-on-one with a safety, and that's when you get those big runs is when Davis has the ability to, to make a safety miss, especially if he gets a running start. There were a bunch of times the other night where Malik Davis was able to squirt through past sort of the first level um, of defenders, and all he had to do was, be, was beat a – Beat a safety to make it into a big play. There are going to be some times then during this year where Davis is able to beat that safety. There's not going to be any anybody else behind him, and the offensive line seems to have the capacity. Like you can envision some scenarios now where fourth and one is going to be an opportunity for like big plays, not necessarily through mm-hmm. the air, but big plays where the defense has a lot of guys up the line of scrimmage. If the offensive line can execute correctly and Malik Davis can get to the second level, there just won't be anybody
1: else there to tackle him. I'm glad you said that, too, because That was the biggest, one of the biggest issues for the run game. Where okay, maybe they can look. They weren't they weren't tackled for many tackles for even the last couple of years. They're not tackled for many tackles for losses in, in the uh, in the run game. It was just very a high number of one, two, three yard carries from this off, this run game. It couldn't really bust the big plays, mostly because the linebackers, the opposing linebackers would be able just to come in uh and, and make the play. So I'm glad you you mentioned uh White there being able to to combo blot and then get to the second level. Getting to the second level has been a big issue in this run game uh the last couple of years and we saw it game one here. Look, we know the competition wasn't the best, but this is something we had to see. If the if it had been bad then it would it would have been oh here we go again. But at least now there is a baseline. There's a starting point for this offensive line. Say, okay, they, they are better than what they were. Now what's the next step? Can they grow as the season goes on? When SEC plays start, can they can they be the, gut, the side of the ball that's going to be relied upon to help bust some big plays in the passing game and help set up some play action uh, big plays there? Dan Mullen was asked about it today, Will, uh, about the offensive. I asked him about the offensive line, actually. So uh, he said they did a good job, a lot of experience. Uh, you saw less game one jitters. It wasn't a crazy experience as much as, uh, as much as it was just being back out there. They're adjusting to the game mode and the game speed, but he thought they handled it well. He said he saw some really good things. Even though they missed some things here and there, they can get corrected. Went on to say missed a couple blocks here and there, uh, could have made a couple better decisions within the scheme. Not everyone graded out a champion, but have to just become more consistent there. Uh, And of course, you know, didn't expect uh, them to go out there and just completely dominate Maul over and over again. I think part of the point will I would go back to and where Mullen probably harshly grading these guys where there's some of those goal line situations uh, where they should have been able to run the ball a bit more. uh, Going back to the the fourth and goal. Uh, there, well, you know, no, well, not necessarily that play. That was, you know, that play probably that play probably shouldn't have been run from the four yard line, as you said, anyway, uh, being under center. But there's you know, some of those goal line runs got stuffed, and, you know, Florida had to, you know, make something happen a- after that. So you probably like to see a little more domination there and close to the, the short yard situation, goal line to go situation. But all in all, we needed to see improvement. We wanted to see improvement. Game one, a good starting point.
0: Hey, man, 8.7 yards per rush. So it's not yep. just the 400 yards; it's that they were getting it in a nine-yard per rush clip. Yep. And even if you, you know, you sit there and go, "Well, Anthony got Richardson my explosive ran-
1: run, will Woo-hoo.
0: <laughs> like the second play of the game was an explosive <laughs> play, explosive run." But e- but even if you go back, they had 8.2 yards per rush in the first half. And so it's not just that they got the 160 yards from Anthony Richardson and that boosted up that yards per play average or the yards per rush average. It's that they were consistently getting three, four, five yards. Every time they handed the ball to a running back and then they'd bust one for 12 and then they'd bust one for 18 and then they'd bust one for 20 and you know, like 46 rushes, 35 pass attempts, which is good because they didn't throw the ball very well, but you know, yards per rush. If you'd have told me come into the game, if they were going to run for eight eight, eight or nine yards per rush, what would the score be? I would have said we score 60. I mean, because at the end of the day, I would have expected the passing game to be a little bit better. I would have said, even against a team that isn't great, that's pretty good. And then the other thing, and this is something that I do think we need to take into consideration, coming into the game, it was pretty clear that the defensive backs for FAU and the defense for FAU was their strength, that their offense was not was not the strength of that team. The defense last year was like a top 20 defense, and the secondary was like top 13, I think, in terms of how good they were, and a lot of those guys were coming back. And a lot of those guys were super seniors. So to be able to take a defense that was top 20, granted they didn't play any big boys last year, but still top 20 defense with pretty much everybody coming back and just maul them up front, I I think is a – is a testament to the offensive line testament to john hevesy who's obviously taken an awful lot of criticism some of it deserved for last year's play and also for recruiting but if you're going to do that then you got to come back and say hey look ethan white who was one of those three stars that everybody derided when he brought when he was brought in is now playing on that offensive line and playing well Stuart reese who struggled last year looked fantastic you got a who was out there playing really really well at center a couple of nice combo blocks for him as well so yeah. I mean, Malik Davis looked like Malik Davis from a couple of, you know, from a couple of years ago, but at the same time, he was able to look like Malik Davis from a few years ago because he wasn't getting hit right off the bat. And that's uh, the offensive line looked really, really good. And that, that's a great sign for Florida. And it's a great sign that, the, well, I guess I said that, that uh, Stuart Reese was the best player on the field. Uh, Non-Anthony Richardson edition, he was the best player oh. on the field. Um, but when you're, when one of your offensive MVPs is an offensive lineman and you want to have a run-based offense, that's a really positive thing, obviously.
1: Yeah, good to see for Reese too. You know, played mostly in this offense at Mississippi State. This is what he's used to, so should be uh, a welcome uh, change of pace for him. And uh, I played in this offense. Well, you mentioned Davis, uh, Rick Wells as well, having big games and. Uh, Mullen was asked about that, and we'll go, th- go we'll go to it as well. You know, this was a game for veterans, uh, and a lot of veterans showed up, made some plays for the Gators uh, there. So Mullen was asked about uh, Wells and Davis uh, having big games, and whether you know that speaks to the program culture and and the older guys getting still these opportunities and said guys grow, they gain experience. A lot of guys transfer out, grow and learn, and and have good careers that way too. Uh, but it's just more about your development as a player. Um, those two he singled these two out when asked about them they took different paths malik hit speed bumps due to injuries and wells was just more of a development the de- development development based project basically is what mullen was saying there he needed to be developed um, and played behind some really good receivers the, the last couple of years it gonna be hard to break through uh, when florida had those receivers they had uh he said neither guy neither of these guys were discouraged put their head down grinded just to keep working and will I'm going to extend it? That goes for Zachary Carter, Jeremiah Moon, Trey Dean, who all had good games as well. You know, Florida had some veterans out there making big plays, strip sacks, uh, Jeremiah Moon rushing quarterbacks and getting a sack, uh, living in the backfield, especially in the first half uh, of this game as well. It was good. Trey Dean, who has been bounced around all over the defense, and he's in his fourth year now, and maybe has found a home at safety. Had six tackles on the, and that was second on the team tied for second on the team behind Ventro Miller with seven. You had a lot of veteran guys out there making plays, both sides of the ball. Good for them. First game, their, their last go around here for the Gators, and at least in game one, they've been able to live up uh, to, you know, the, the these veterans that are going to be starters need to be counted on, be leaders out there. And then, look, they went out there and put some stats up, made some plays. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I thought Jeremiah Moon at linebacker was really interesting. You go back yeah. and look at the, you go look at the rewatch there, and he he did a really nice job of taking on the pulling offensive linemen or pulling tight ends who were coming into the hole some physicality that Florida didn't necessarily have last year. Um, you wish that was Ventrell Miller and, and Diabate who were doing that. Cause I think they're a little bit more physically gifted, but to move him to inside linebacker and say, Hey, we're going to take advantage of your physicality because his pass rushing skills the last couple of years have been relatively limited. And, and clearly they've got some pass rushers on this team. There were some really nice, really nice plays by not just Carter who obviously puts up three sacks and is sort of the star on the defense. But, you know, you look at, you look at guys like, uh, like, Cox, who you think is going to come on throughout the year, but human Melan, and then uh, Antoine Powell had a couple of really nice plays. It had the one where he had the, the roughing the passer, but had another bull rush that people I know have probably seen out there on Twitter where he came in and made a really nice play. So, yeah, I mean, look, I think Wells is the guy who – you looked at and said, "If I was going to pick somebody to replace Kadarius Tony on the inside, not replace his ability, but replace sort of that spot that Wells was the natural person to put in there." Um, I think you know guys like Shorter and Copeland are guys who have a lot of experience. Who we'll see how they how they adjust, right? I mean, Copeland only gets the one pass thrown or one pass completion. He had a couple thrown his way. Shorter has the four, but basically on on bubble screens. That I'm going to be interested to see how the the the. Um, receivers, whether they get frustrated as they're switching from this offense where everybody went to the NFL to now you're switching to an offense where, you know, just getting the ball thrown to you accurately two or three times a game may be a challenge. But yeah, I mean, look, we we came into this season saying that the, it, it was weird because the best players on Florida's team were on a defense that was just atrocious last year. But it was Ventrell Miller, it was Trey Dean conceivably, it was Kyrie Elam, it was Chris Bogle, it was Amari Burney, it was Diabate, it was Gervon Dexter. You know, Those were guys that you're just sort of listing off and saying these are the guys who have to be the stars on the team. And so to see some of those older guys step up is obviously, um, is obviously heartening, though I, I still think there's quite a bit of room for improvement when it comes to the defensive side of
1: the ball. Exactly where I was going next, Will. You know, what can they do better? You, you and I were texting really early on fourth. They, they looked a little tentative, looked a little slow. The, the, some of the angles being taken because they're playing so – th- these go together, the angles in the pursuit because of the concu- the, the cushion they're playing. And you know, some of these DBs back there, they're, they're playing so far off. Uh, the, the receiver or the running back at the backfield catches a pass – and these guys are having to run up, come up, make tackles. The the angles are wrong sometimes. Uh, Now, look, I did like the fact that the physicality part of tackles definitely looked better than it has in 2018, 2019, 2020, when Florida would just get out physical and just bounce off of guys. We didn't see that. If they got there and made contact, they made the tackles, more so than we've seen early in the season in years past. But it's, we still saw some of these weird angles. They would take themselves out of a tackle, out of a play, just because some of the angles. And Diabate was guilty for that a couple of times. Travesh Johnson, Avery Helm, those are the guys that I noticed it more so than, than some of the others. But we'll just – first of all, the cushion in and of itself, it's third and four and you're 10 yards off. And it makes the easy completion, easy first down uh, for these offenses. We'll – I think you and I have talked about this before, and I brought it up a couple of times. I don't remember them doing that in 2018, 2019. Maybe we missed it. I don't remember them backpedaling you know, right before a snap, and then you, I mean, you're backpedaling when the ball is snapped. You know, It's going to be hard to recover in the first place, and then you, you know, and, and you're so far off. You're having to come up, make a tackle uh, there, and uh, that's just been an issue we saw that I don't remember seeing early on with Todd Grantham, but with those angles, With that cushion, we've seen bad angles and bad tackling take take part as well because of that cushion. Yeah, I
0: think they were able to do it in in 2019, but I think having guys like David Reese really makes a difference when you start playing those sorts of defenses. So there was a play that I highlighted in in my recap article where they basically had three guys in the zone across – Pretty much like a yard behind the the first down marker. Jadarius Perkins saw a wide receiver flash past him and it almost looked like he thought that may oh oh crap, maybe that's my responsibility, and drifted back three or four yards. And then when the ball was thrown to a guy crossing across the middle, Perkins wasn't able to close fast enough. And he gets him right at the sticks and it ends up being a first down. I, I think um what you're seeing there is some inexperience or, or uncomfortableness with the with the scheme, but also not necessarily trusting yourself within the scheme or trusting your teammates within the scheme. And that's what we saw last year. So I don't think the scheme was all that different in 2019 versus 2020. I just think that the players didn't trust each other in 2020, and they never trusted each other in 2020. And in 2019, they did trust each other, and they had a guy like Jonathan Gennard to get in there and cause havoc and cover <laughs> up some of those mistakes. And,
1: you know, if you're going if to you play think- that cushion, cushion style of defense then you you've got to have the pressure up front to begin with
0: well and so you know the first play the first drive for FAU was 10 plays and that one sort of got got um, squelched when they tripped over each other in the backfield but you know a a loss a tackle for loss is what sort of puts them behind the chains and forces them to punt the second drive was going really really well for them they were moving down the field until um, Zach Carter makes a um, you know, makes a great individual play and comes in and is able to knock it out. But even if you go to the second half, I mean, you have the the two touchdown drives at the end that everybody says, well, it was just sort of garbage time at that point. But they also had the four play 59 yard, um, 59 yard drive that was aided by a fumble by FAU that really was an unforced error. And so this this goes back to I think the criticism of Grantham over the years which is that when you play teams that have unforced errors you can do this sort of thing, right yeah. You can let them dink and dunk. you can let them convert those third downs. you can let them do those sorts of things. Um, but by the time you get to the the games against you know the games against Alabama and Georgia and LSU, it becomes a little bit more difficult to do that because you pay for it when you let them do that because they don't necessarily make all those unforced errors. So time's going to tell, right? I mean, if, if Jairus Perkins is in the right spot, when that crossing route comes, he makes the tackle two yards short and FAU punts. And we all feel good about it. It's that he's not in the right position. He doesn't make the tackle. And so that's one thing where you're saying, Hey, that individual player costs them in a way that, that, Everybody else can do their job, but because he didn't do his job specifically, and I don't want to pile on Perkins, I, he was by far not the only person doing that sort of thing. Uh, but that—that that I think is the is the rub when it comes to these sorts of things for for Grantham's defense. So you saw it, there was a play later where Trading came over, made a really nice pass breakup, and forced a fourth down, forced a punt. Um, you know, he was in the right place at the right time, and because he was there, it, it's a very difficult completion for the quarterback to make. I think we're going to see that more and more as the season goes along. But at the same time, this defensive performance reminded me a lot of the defensive performance against South Carolina last year, where you looked up at the end of the game and you went, eh, the yards per play aren't that bad. Like They had, they had times where the defense was playing pretty decently, but they couldn't get off the field against South Carolina because they couldn't execute consistently. I think if you combine third and fourth downs, it was something like 70% of those plays were converted for South Carolina last year. Wasn't quite that bad for FAU, but there were four of seven in the first half. Could get them off the field. Only four drives, which meant Florida's offense only had four drives. It meant that the failures in the red zone became sort of magnified because you only had four drives in the first half. Um, you know, you would like to see a little bit more turnover, especially against an offense that's that's led by Willie Taggart.
1: Yeah, and especially the way you were creating havoc and, and putting pressure on them, and you played off of the receivers, you played off of the running backs. Even though you were getting the pressure, and guys were just not there, you know Perry was just fast enough to get the ball off a lot of the time. And just because you were playing that soft coverage, the receiver or the running back still had room to, to make a move. If you were playing that tight coverage with the pressure that Florida was creating up front, then maybe you're there in position to make a to to, to make an interception or make the tackle as soon as the receiver or running back catch the ball. So, you know, Mullen mentioned that you know they, they knew that he was quick with getting the ball out as the game progressed. But for whatever reason, you know, still didn't uh, bring the coverage up <laughs> most of the time. And there were there were a few times, you know, it, was, it, it wasn't cushion all game. And there was a couple times I made sure to look and, you know, they were up. But those third down situations where we want to see that those guys without the cushion so much, that's where uh, we, we, we just want to see the Gators be a little more aggressive. And, and maybe it comes in confidence uh, who knows? Who, who who knows why? That's just a, a staple of Grantham right now. We thought we might see some change a little bit with, and maybe we still will. It's still early in the season. Still, they knew they were going to go out there and beat FAU. When McGriff comes in. Maltinard comes in. We thought we might see a little more aggression, a little more straight-to-straight you know, straight man coverage, uh, bump-and-run coverage. Maybe we still do early in the season, uh, but still, still kind of just the same old, same old.
0: Yeah, so they had six sacks, they had eight quarterback hurries, so 14 yep. total, but there were 33 attempts for, for Nicosi Perry, which means that, you know, what, eight, 19 times then he, he had time to throw the ball. And and that's sort of what you saw, right? Is that when he was given time, he was able to deliver the, deliver the ball pretty effectively and make those conversions. Now the defense to its credit gave up zero explosive plays in the first half. Yep. And that's why those play, that's why those drives were 10 plays, six plays, 10 plays, 11 plays. And they still had no points because yeah, they'd gone for 10 plays, but they gained like 36 yards over the course of those 10 plays. And then wound up having to punt now in the second half that changed. Right. So, um, you know, they had all of a sudden they were hitting a bunch of pass plays. They had one 20 yard run from Ford, but then they had four explosive pass plays there in the fourth quarter specifically. And yeah, they were playing a little bit of prevent, but the whole point of a prevent. Is to prevent the explosive plays so you know if you're going to play a prevent you want them throwing the ball to the outside gaining gain, gain in 10 11 12 yards at a pop and wasting clock if you're giving up 39 yard passes and 46 yard passes it really defeats the purpose of playing off and anybody who's saying that they they played off a lot during the during the game anyway so um Yeah, look, I I think there's obviously places to improve. I think we said that last year after the Ole Miss game, said that after the South Carolina game. Unfortunately, we were still saying that after the Alabama game. That'll be where the proof hits the pudding here is if we look at USF and say, all right, a team that was really bad against NC State, you know they got shut out against NC State. Should Florida be better than NC State? Absolutely. And so let's see if they can replicate that shutout that NC State was able to get. And then obviously um, the big one comes up the week after that, where we'll really see what we have. But there's gonna have to be some improvement before then.
1: All right. Well, so here we go. Uh, finishing up just some news and notes here from Dan Mullins' press conference. You know, I did mention that uh, they were without uh, defensive lineman Jalen Lee with an ankle, Humphrey's wrist, Christopher Thomas on crutches. Uh, With a leg injury, Lamar Goods, not really sure what's going on with him there. Didn't mention Jay Lee might be back this week versus USF. Um, Did confirm that nickelback uh, defensive back Kamar Wilcoxon said he did have surgery. Last week, Mullen downplayed it after Wilcoxon pretty much confirmed that he was going to be missing this season. Uh, uh, Did say uh, that he had surgery. Wilcoxon will now miss this season uh, for the Gators. And, Will, this was something that caught everybody's eyes there in the press box uh, Saturday night. We did see Andrew Chatfield at the Gator Walk. We saw Andrew Chatfield on the field uh, during the game. Mullen says he played. I don't remember seeing him on the field. Uh, maybe it was late in the game, but he did say Andrew Chatfield was out there playing uh, Saturday night. But Mullen quote here on Monday his press conference about Andrew Chatfield. Yeah, he played in the game on Saturday, Mullen said. Uh, that would be up to him, I guess, more than us. I mean, there's nowhere to go right now, so he's still here with the team. So that means, you know, he's still getting the scholarship. He's still there getting uh, – you know, uh, the, the the scholarship to go to class and, and be part of this Gator team. Uh, it is interesting that uh, he's even tweeted, Chatfield himself, saying that he was going to leave Florida to transfer out. So maybe some things have changed, uh, but still with the team, still involved with the team, Will. Just uh, you don't see that too often when guys uh, mention that they're going to be uh, putting themselves in the transfer portal. Uh, but uh, Andrew Chatfield's still with the team right now in play, and says Dan Mullen.
0: Yeah. I mean, this is, this is the new age of the transfer portal, right? Is, is that, um, you know, you look at your options and sometimes your options aren't as good as maybe you want them to be. And, and, you know, that's one of the problems with the transfer portal, at least the way it's the way it's been configured is there've been a lot of people who sort of have left programs where maybe they had a better situation than the places that they've wound up at. And, you know, obviously at at the time he announced it, you sort of wish him the best. And and now all of a sudden you see him on the field. So Hey, he's he's a young kid, right? Young kids look at their options, get frustrated, and say, "Hey, I could do this someplace else." But after probably taking a little bit of time to think about it, and go back and talk to Bolin about it, and and talk to Grant them about it, and said, "You know what? Like at least for this year, there isn't a better option. Let's go out yeah. there, do the best we can." And if he goes out and puts up three or four sacks and plays in a backup role, and and you know is is a team player and a huge contributor, then you know what program wouldn't want a guy like that? you know, come February when, when teams are looking for those sorts of players and looking to fill those sorts of holes. So I think it behooves both programs to, or behooves both parties here, right? I mean, it behooves Florida because you've got extra depth out there and a guy who knows your scheme and a guy that you've been developing over the last couple of years, but it also probably behooves Chatfield to be out there and play because, you know, one, you stay in shape, two, you stay in good standing academically, and three, you're attractive if you, if you put things on tape, that's, that's going to be attractive to the next place you want to go to.
1: Yep. So, yeah, we'll see what kind of contributions he makes as the season goes on. But interesting storyline to follow as we go through these games here this season. Will, man, good stuff. Uh, you mentioned something you're working on uh, for reading reaction. So uh, what's that? What can we expect? And everybody you, will, if you haven't checked it out yet, we'll highlight uh, a review, uh, of course, but highlight some plays in there that you should have uh, been looking out for. Some notice there about the defense and uh, the, the, the quarterback uh, storyline as well there. But will, what you're working on coming up?
0: And so I'll obviously have a preview for the USF game coming up later this week. And then I'm working on something right now, looking at the running game from the other night against with FAU, but really the difference between Emory Jones and and Anthony Richardson. And, and that's the place I think where, if you said, I want to see decision-making improve um, for Emory Jones, I think if he does that, then, then a lot of the noise is going to stop. So um, yeah, those would be sort of the two things I'm working on this week. And then I've got a, uh, I've got a Kirby award to give out this week. And Mm -hmm. uh you know, Florida fans are going to appreciate who I'm giving it out to this week because it's going to be somebody near and dear to every Florida fan's heart. In terms of, uh, in terms of somebody who might earn it, in the program who's going to get it.
1: <laughs> awesome, We'll be looking out for that one there from Will. Uh, his Kirby Award going to uh, the uh, coach who doesn't uh, who doesn't put the best foot forward. I guess is the best way to put it. <laughs> yeah, that, that, That's a good, that's a, that's a nice
0: uh, euphemism for the coach. Who's the most like Kirby smart on a week to week basis. No, it, it's, it's trying to, trying to point out, trying to teach, hopefully teach people, um, you know, the things they should be looking for when they're, when they're asking for a coach to be fired. Why would you look at somebody and say, Hey, this decision-making is flawed during the end game type of coaching. And uh, you know, Dan Mullins had a couple of those while he's been here, but he's had more where he's had good games than bad. And, uh, you know, so it's always fun to sort of be on the lookout for who's going to get that award every week.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, all right. Be on the lookout for it at com and on Twitter for Will at WillMilesSEC. I'm your host of Gator's Breakdown, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Thousand Will's out there. Thanks for listening to this episode of Gator's Breakdown.